Welcome to another episode of the Ironforge podcast. This is a podcast where I interview clients, entrepreneurs, team members, and investors to hear their unique take on entrepreneurship and the startup community. My name is Chris Roach. I'm, of course, your host. I'm delighted to say that I am today joined by one of our recent Ironforge clients, the CEO and founder of Ultrawise by Let's Thrive 360, a true trailblazer in the volunteer and nonprofit industry. Nicole Sadao, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. I was actually just complimenting you on your background, actually, before we went live. And uh, for those that can see it, I'm sure they'll be able to appreciate it when we're uh, watching this podcast back. Yeah, well, you know, with the pandemic and not being able to actually be at vendor fairs like I'm supposed to, I figured I might as well make use of this beautiful (laughs) piece of fabric and... (laughs) in the back so <laughs> absolutely no it looks good i'm mean, we saying we're gonna have to get one behind here so you can't yep. see the box the current boxes behind me in the uh, in the moving process <laughs> absolutely so nicole what, what is is ultrawise can you can you give a little bit of background on uh, on your company and your your application ultrawise yeah so ultrawise is an app that helps volunteers track verify and maintain their community service data allowing them to have that kind of as a lifelong record um, portfolio, if you will, of their volunteer journey. And some people might be going, well, what, who cares? Well, for some people, it's a big deal. Um, there are life-altering decisions that are being made with volunteer data, and it's inaccurate and possibly fraudulent data. So our app is the first of its kind to be able to standardize and capture that data and then get it verified all within the app instead of the current paper process. Um, And it's specifically made for the volunteer to be able to continue to add on to their goodness journey, I like to call it. Um, But we also, one of our really unique aspects is giving the flexibility to the organizations that might be requiring this information to even link into and get that data themselves without paperwork as well. So we're really flexible in which, like we can, we can handle any type of organization that needs that information. And so we're really unique in that space. And that's why we, we like to say we're the, the uh, Fitbit for your altruism. So that helps put it in perspective for people. We really want people to be better intentionally. And we really think that if, if people got home at night and went, okay, I did my 10,000 steps. What if they actually said, wow, did I do my two hours of volunteering that mm-hmm. I said I was going to do? That's what we want to bring people to top of mind for people is, are you being as good in this world as you are? How many steps you're taking in it? Like, do you care as much? Yeah. Um, that's what we're trying to bring, bring about change. Awesome. And you said some of the, organizations that you're working with or organizations that are looking at using this platform, what kind of industry are they in? I know with the volunteering, is it, is it all specifically with nonprofits or what kind of, of clients do you currently work with and, and who are your ideal clients? Yeah. So the organizations that um, mandate or highly encourage their members to volunteer. So let's look at, there's a lot of different high schools out there that require volunteer hours for graduation. Um, any college bound students, especially now because of COVID, a lot of kids can sit for the standardized testing. A lot of colleges and universities are going test optional. So now their story is gonna be that much more important and they need to be able to tell it well. Well, one of the things with our app is we have a journaling feature. 
so that they can capture what they've done, their feelings about it, all that stuff. We get ready to write that essay. They've got that information right there. Um, other organizations would be, you know, your businesses that are trying to create that culture and you either give paid time off to go mm -hmm. volunteer to their employees or just highly encourage it. Um, again, what makes us unique is that instead of these, you know, employees, for example, just reporting this data and that data going into a big bucket, they get to see their impact, the employee, the individual, right? It stays with them. So mm -hmm. it becomes personal. Um, and then we've got other ways to incentivize individuals to continue to give back. Uh, we actually have a really great initiative because I'm sick of 2020. I think a few people are, I don't know. <laughs> um, so we've got an, an initiative called uh, Change Starts With One. And it's all based on 2021. We could have a really amazing year of change if we wanted to, mm -hmm. if we choose to. So for every person, if you can do one hour of verified time, get it verified through the Altrize app, you'll be entered to win prizes throughout 2021. Like that's how serious we are on this. So nonprofits can be involved, businesses, churches, schools, like, mm -hmm. and it, it's free to be a part of the challenge. We just want you to start thinking about your volunteering at a different level. And is that one hour per week, per month, per year, per day, or is it just one hour in total? Once. Just, just one, one hour, hour volunteer. One hour and you will be entered to win. So all yeah. you have to do is volunteer for one hour and then you have the chance to win a bunch of prizes in 2021. Yes. Okay. If you're, if you're watching this podcast, if you're listening to this podcast, Nick, we're going to make a, a separate snippet for this particular part. Go and volunteer for one hour and sign up. Um, Nicole, where can they get information on, on how to sign up for this? Because this, this sounds too good to be true. So how can you get involved <laughs> with this? So it's change starts with one, the number one.com, or they can go directly to our site, alterize.com. There's information there as well. Um, but it, it's really that simple. Download the app, which is free. Do your one hour. It's got to be with a 501c3 verified nonprofit. That's something we verify on our end, um, on Altruiza's side. Um, as long as that got verified, they're entered to win. So it's awesome. that simple. That sounds, yeah, that sounds <laughs> too good to be true. I am going to be, uh, yeah, I'm going to be making sure that we take part in that. That sounds, uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Um, how do you verify the, I guess the, the actual hours of being done, not for the competition. I'm not trying to fraudulently do the competition. I just, in, in you know, the beginning you said, you know, there are a lot of, of issues with people that volunteer. So how do you actually verify that these hours are, are being tracked and being volunteered and being reported accurately? Yeah. So it happens through the app. So you as the individual record your information that you've done it. And then what you do is you push that out to whomever needs to verify it. So it's either somebody that worked with you directly from that organization um, or it's, you know, the, an individual that you helped. So that's another unique aspect, uh, mm. especially again with COVID. Like if you got groceries for your neighbor, you helped mow the lawn. And sorry for all of us Northern state people, or if they shoveled snow <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, then, then you can actually get all that verified too on the app. Um, it's, and we have our own way of, of knowing if it's a, a 501c3 or an mm. organization. So we're good there uh, on that side of it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, right now the current process of verification is by paper. Oh yeah. Like it's toting around a piece of paper to get signed. Yeah, just a lot of signatures, and then I imagine yeah. a lot of paper gets lost, and a lot of things is being backtracked, yeah. and it's a little bit of a an, an issue with actually reporting accurately. Yeah, I mean, the phone is what we all have in our pocket at all times, so let's just make this process as simple as possible for people. Yeah, exactly. So how did you actually come up with this concept? And was it something that you, an issue that you faced firsthand and you said, hey, there's got to be a better solution to this? You know, how did you actually come up with this this solution in this company? Yeah, the I, I always do this weird thing when people ask me that because it's been such a long process. I mean, I was pivoting before it was cool. Like this has been an amazing journey. Uh, I've, I've loved it. It's come with a lot of tears and struggles and sacrifice. Absolutely. But it, it's been amazing. Um, there were just a lot of pieces that came together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, for, for me, this is very much a, a mission. I feel this is kind of a, a God thing, a universe thing, whatever you want to call it. And so the universe just kept putting these, these hints along the way. Um, and it's a combination of, I'm actually a chiropractor by degree. So I like okay. to say God, God obviously doesn't read resumes. And <laughs> so I've, I've come to appreciate it's because he writes them. Uh, I'm absolutely the right person for this. I've got the depth and breadth and understanding because I am a volunteer addict. And so between that, um, seeing patients and hearing one patient's story of uh, their sister had gotten um, a DUI, had gotten community service, went in front of the judge, thought she was done with her hours. The judge said, no, you've got 10 more hours. She said, no, I'm all done. The ju- like, why is there a miscommunication here? Yeah. Uh, and then the, the college ad, uh, admission scandal, $25 million was spent by these parents. And those are the ones yeah. that got caught to falsify their kids' records. Over 60% of college admissions officials use this data point as a tiebreaker. Yeah. That's crazy. I've got kids that are going to be going to college here pretty soon. And then kind of the, the final thing was... Um, seeing all these companies try to gain me as a customer because they say how many hours they're doing in the communities. And I have no way to prove if that's true or not. Yeah. Like if they donate a million dollars, I can find that out really quick. But now you're also using your, your company culture and your altruisticness. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word um, to gain me as a customer but I have, I have no idea if that's true or not. Yeah. And I know the companies that are doing it, the employees, the majority of them are self-reporting. So again, I still don't know if it's true. So, so yeah, it just, there's just a lot of things where I'm like, you know, this data is way too important for us to keep floating it like this. So, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, really for you, it's a frustration. I think it's, seeing this problem happening over and over again and, and really the lack of transparency with it of like you say you've no idea whether people are volunteering you can say they're going to do that and and even i know when i, when I was in college you know as a as an NCAA athlete we had to volunteer and it was 40 hours to, to graduate 
there's mm-hmm. no nobody checked it. They just, you know, you went and did it and you signed off and that was it. You know, you could just have easily have just signed off. You know, it, it was it was a similar situation where there was it was very difficult to I think be held accountable to that. And you know, I, I've I've known how people didn't do 40 hours. You know, the, again, there was very little way to accurately be able to track that information. Um, and that's just one example of, like you say, the, the 15 to 20 examples of where this data is being used. And especially if it's being used for the tiebreaker to college admissions, because that's someone's future that is on the line that ultimately they miss out on an opportunity because of, you know, potentially, potentially false data. And so yeah. it, it provides the, really the transparency in that to allow people to make more informed decisions. Um, now you did touch on a, an interesting point when, you know, you said, God doesn't look at the resume before they, you know, before he obviously chose to, to have you take this line. So you were a chiropractor by trade. This was not something, you know, you, you I would imagine, would still consider yourself a non-technical founder. Um, so how did you get into this role and how did you really take that first step to be able to, you know, become the CEO of a, of a mobile application and a, a, an online technical company without having any prior knowledge? Yeah. So I'm going to, a woman was asked this question. I didn't realize how much it was going to affect my life. I was in high school and I saw this report and a woman was asked, why did you start um, an orphanage in Russia? And this is like Cold War. She had started it. So it was a big deal. And she's like, because I didn't know it wasn't possible. So I'm claiming ignorance. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like there's certain things that you just do because you, you feel it. Mm-hmm. I, it, it makes no sense otherwise. So um, I put the universe on notice back in like the fall of 2013. And I, cause I spoke the words out loud after being on my heart for a long time. I'm like, I'm going to do something to help all nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And I spoke that to my husband and my parents didn't know what that meant. Um, took really itty bitty baby steps. Didn't tell anybody like, use legal zoom to get my LLC, you know, again, didn't want to tell anybody. And then it kept, again, you know, the universe just kept laying out things that told me to keep going. And so I kept following the crumb trail, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, all right. And then um, as we got deeper into this, I looked at my wonderful, amazing husband and said, because he and I own our chiropractic office together. um, I said, you know, God's got me on this path. I make no promises where it's going. I have no idea. I said, but I, I just really feel that for me to, to find out, I have to give it a hundred percent, which means mm-hmm. I can't see patients anymore. And he turned to me and he said, I agree. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was it. It was like, yeah, this is meant to happen. Cause my life partner has just like without blinking. Now this yeah. is the same guy and he's going to kill me if he hears this. This is the same <laughs> guy that when we had our first child and it was like two weeks and I'm holding our, our son, Nathaniel, you know, all cuddly up in my arm and he comes in and, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, is he, Oh, I think he's got tears in his eyes. And he walks over and he says, I need you at the clinic. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's not crying because I'm holding his son, his firstborn. He's crying because he wants me at work. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a big transition for him to to be able to say that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. that's it's, awesome. That's awesome. I think to have, I mean, to have the confidence of, and again, of, of your partner to, to be able to do that 
I think would would give you a lot of of your own confidence and kind of remove some of that self doubt. Say, okay, like this, this it's now time. It is, you know, because you get to a point when you, with any company and any of the founders and any of the entrepreneurs that listen to this, you can go about and you you know you can continue to have these ideas and concepts and think about doing it, and doing it, and doing it. And at some point, you've just got to go in. And, and entrepreneurship is very much a it's definitely the, the idea of you have to jump in with two feet, this whole dip in a toe in the water with entrepreneurship. It doesn't really work. There's a lot of people going to tell you, well, wait till you make enough revenue to cover your, you know, your salary. And then you can look at actually becoming full time with an entrepreneur. That doesn't work with the majority of cases. You have to jump into it and you have to kind of take that blind leap of faith. And again, if you have the situation where you have the capital to be able to, you know, have 12 to 12 months where you don't have to work and, you know, whether that's moonlighting in the evenings, you know, whatever that is, you always find a way to make it work if you are determined to make the startup work. And for you as, a, you know, as you took those initial steps, you know, I know you said you kind of had this, these breadcrumbs laid in front of you and there's a lot of, of very small steps at the beginning, which sounds great to see you, you know, you can have that next step there. But as a non-technical founder, if you're looking at building a mobile application, it doesn't matter what you can see in front of you. You don't know how to do it. So was from your standpoint then, was it, I want to learn to do this myself? Was it, I need to find a CTO? Was it, I'm going to go and hire, you know, a, a freelance developer international? What were those first couple of steps for you to really launch a technology startup rather than just specifically kind of your own business? Yeah, I, well, I knew I couldn't do it myself. Um, you know, I've got three kids, like, I've been told I'm a, a unicorn because I'm a female founder and I kind of joke back and say, well, I'm a unicorn that comes with rainbows, a tiara and sprinkles because <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, you, you got to know your limits. Like mm-hmm. I, I can only do so much. So, uh, yeah. So the hunt was kind of on to find that, that technical, like, I like to say, I, I can, I see the picture. I'm just not the artist. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I know where all the colors are supposed to go and I know where that line does 90 or does 85 degrees. Like I know the difference, but I can't actually do it. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's some issues. It's been great with, you know, with iron forge, um, having you guys on as, as, uh, equity partners, um, just eases the mind on that. Um, and that's the whole point. Right. You know, and I liken it to when people come to a chiropractor, like you're supposed to be able to trust that the yeah. person you're going to is in the re- reason you're paying them. The reason you're, you're there is because you can't do it for yourself and you're putting your trust in them. Yeah. So, um, so thank you to Iron Forge for that. Um, but yeah, then that frees me up to be able to make all the connections and outreach and, every thousand other things I need to get done. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's one of the, the, the biggest thing that entrepreneurs when they're first starting and the reason I asked if you, you know, what kind of those first steps you're taking is many entrepreneurs when they, they first say, right, I'm going to go and find a CTO or a technical co-founder. It's one of those hardest, it's one of those difficult things you can do. It, it's, it's extremely, extremely difficult to find a single person co-founder who's going to say, Hey, I'm going to come in and, you know, I believe in your vision just as much as you do. So I don't need paying. I'm going to go and spend, you know, the next 12 months developing this platform for you. And, and some people have done it and, and obviously found partners that can't do what they say they're going to do. And it never works. And some people have done it where it's worked very well. But from our perspective, you know, like you said, we do in, 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 in some instances actually take an equity stance in some of our clients. Um, again, to be able to, to really 
put ourselves in the same boat as our clients. For all of our clients, we're their technical partner. In this particular instance, obviously, we have a, a you know a small equity stake with your company to be able to really put ourselves in, and align our incentives to make sure that you know everything is being done to the you know the level where we would expect. And you know, we had Ian on the podcast you know a couple of weeks ago, and he said we build every product as if it is our own. You know, as if we're going to launch it to market. That's kind of the always been the way that we've developed the software, and that's why we're not a you know high volume software development company we're not working with thousands of clients a year for us it's a, it's about being able to make sure that we can have that greatest impact when we actually launch that product to, to get you to market and you know you came through a, a couple of different steps um and i know you started off with more of the the design stage and the clinical prototype can you talk just a little bit on kind of your experience going through that design stage and being able to actually form this this visual representation of what the software will be so that you can start to actually you know gain traction and, and potentially raise capital and look at then different options aside from you know just having a pitch deck yeah that that was that's huge because I'm going to say that it's even huge, like set aside the fact that it, it's used for funding, right? Especially for a non-technical founder. For me, it was huge because I could finally see it. Yeah. Again, I've got the picture in my mind. I, I need to be able to really see it and see how it flows together in order for me to then interpret and, and say back to the artists, to you guys, you know, hey, this, no, no, sorry, I didn't mean that, I meant this, right? So it, it's, I think that was probably of the other, you know, because I, I, I have worked with other development companies in the past, um, you know, it didn't work out. Uh, and I think with Ironforge, that right there, wow, what a defining piece. Mm-hmm to be able to see it ahead of time and, and bring in other things and realize I forgot other, you know, certain stuff or whatever. Um, that, that was really, that's huge. And yeah, then, then to be able to take that and position it for fundraising. I mean, I, I actually got the first sale without the product being developed because yeah. I had the clickable, you know, I could, click through and at least show what it was going to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and that's, that's something that we, we have that conversation with clients and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you said that because it, it sounds great when I tell people they can do it and say, Hey, you should build this prototype. You can go and generate revenue using this prototype before you just have to build anything. But to hear clients that have actually been able to actually go out and do that, because at the end of the day, that prototype is a visual representation and it is, it is an actual, absolute, you know, pixel perfect approach of how that software is going to look and feel. And especially if you're doing a lot of online demos and you're doing a lot of sales, you know, we encourage our clients to get out there and sell with the prototype. You don't even have to tell them it's not real until they want to buy it, because then you can actually see this is, you know, you can gauge that interest a lot earlier on. And it is such a, a vital tool, I think, in generating that initial market traction to often justify the expense of the development, because there's usually, you know, a 5x difference from a design to a that you're developing the platform so it allows you to kind of dip your toe in the water as an entrepreneur that's actually testing the market validation without committing the capital of you know fifty sixty thousand dollars to actually build out the platform which again is something that a lot of a, a lot of clients that are still kind of they don't have all the confidence yet to be able to invest heavily it allows them to get that feedback before they take that plunge right agreed and i i'd, I'd also point out for anybody that's, I don't know why I'm being led to say this, but, you know, 
you you need to get started perfection is going to kill you get started and no nobody's going to steal your idea <laughs> if that's what you're worried about then you're stealing your own idea yeah. because you're not getting it out there like you've trapped it in your own mind mm -hmm. get over yourself like get moving yeah. so if that's what you're worried about that's what's holding you back about trying to pre-sell before you actually have a product done you, you you're literally stealing the idea from yourself <laughs> yeah it's yeah it, it's, like you say it's it's the uh analysis or the, the paralysis by analysis is when you, you never actually launch the product. And yeah, for, for a lot of clients that, you know, perhaps are a little bit nervous with stealing the ideas. The, the one thing that I always say to clients when they say, well, you know, I don't sure about, I want to tell you too much about it. I guarantee you I've heard it before. You know, we yeah. talked to hundreds <laughs> of clients a, a month. I guarantee somebody else this month has already said the exact same thing. And we've said, that's a great idea. It comes down to execution and we're not biased. You know, we're not going to say one idea is better than another. It all comes down to execution. But if you're afraid to put it out there, you're never going to get any honest feedback. And if you're waiting with this kind of this stealth startup mode, you're right. really shooting yourself in the foot from getting that initial traction because you know even things like Facebook and, and Google and, and YouTube when they first started they weren't these kind of groundbreaking ideas until they really got the traction they needed it right. was never this this concept that said hey I want to do this I mean you think back even to you know when Facebook first started you bring the roommates in or, or your you know your colleagues into the dorm room you pitch the idea and two or three people said no and that just goes to tell you it's it's not that someone's going to steal your idea it always comes down to the execution on that so i know i think that's a great point and people need to to just really get started and in in today's world with covid and working from home you have the time to do it now which is a very you know you have to take make the most of this time you have at home and now really is that time to start a business and um, especially with the tools that are available to you i mean doing it now compared to five years ago i know you started you know five years ago i would imagine you're looking at this thinking i, I wish i <laughs> i wish i had these tools available when i first started you know it would have become a lot easier to do that yeah and you know again i i, I do and i don't i can't question the timing this has been quite a process um, but yeah, it's, and you, you use the term stealth mode and I don't know why, but, um, Fortnite popped into my head how when my, when my son first started playing Fortnite and he'd hide in the bushes and that's how he'd win. Yeah, <laughs> that's He got crap from all of his friends and like, that's the cheesy way to win is to hide in the yeah. bushes. So like, yeah, you got to get out of the bushes, like get, get in the game. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's and unfortunately in, in entrepreneurship, you don't win by hand in the bushes. It's nope. the that's not the not the way to do it. Um, going back, kind of, I know we're having a little bit of a tangent there. Um, going back to to obviously with your your design and, and kind of taking that to development. That's always a big question that you know I think a, a lot of people are a little bit kind of nervous on. Is the designs look amazing? You have these beautiful looking designs that's not really the risk of can you create the designs because a lot of people when they've you know, worked with development companies in the past or they've been burned, it's on development. You know, they, they've not got a product launch. It's something like 75% or 70 plus percent of software development deals go sideways. That's really where I think a lot of people are in this industry have that, that kind of nagging in the back of their mind saying this may not work. So how did, how did your process go from design to development work and how did it allow you to have that confidence to actually create the mobile application? Um, so I just want to say, yeah, it might not work. Like there are no guarantees. So let's, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we don't want to sugarcoat it that way, but with that being said, you know, hopefully hearing like my story, hearing other stories from the Iron Forge podcast, 
like that's you doing your research, right? Um, and when you, that's the first thing you need to do is making sure that you're, you're doing your own research, your, your own comfort level, but that design and going into the product, um, man, they were, it was dead on perfect, like what they were. Mm -hmm. So again, I think the experience of being able to have that design work done first, yeah, like I, I can't overstress that. That was such a huge, powerful tool to be able to have. And then to know that it, that's how it came out. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's the, how it came out. <laughs> it's yeah. Knowing that it's going to be the pixel code. I know that's what I mean, as a sales, obviously working with clients and, and being more in the sales role and we're showing them, this is the design. Say, Hey, this is exactly what it's going to look like. They kind of go, yeah, but is it really? No, I'm telling, I'm telling you, if it's not, someone's going to be in a lot of trouble. So yeah. this is exactly how it's going to look like once we get into development. And that's why it's great kind of having clients that have gone through design development. Obviously, now I know you're making some updates and we're looking at, you know, kind of continuing to, to make some updates with the application. But you've been able to, to go through that process and see firsthand just how accurate that is. So that really, once you receive your finished design, that that's it. That's what the product is. You, then you can start selling. You can start getting out there, getting feedback, getting yep. investors, because you know, you have a fixed price guarantee to go out there and there is no risk of that application, not looking exactly like this design. So you have, right. you basically have the product in your hand. Right. And, and I want to be clear, like that doesn't mean that again, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. That doesn't mean your users might not like the design you came up with. Right but that's the design you picked. It will look exactly yeah. like the design you picked. Yeah. So, so get it out there as much as you can while it's still in that, in that pre-developed, you know, truly the design phase and get feedback on the look of it mm -hmm. then. Because in that way, you know, if there needs to be changes before it gets into production on the development side, you've got that chance. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say it enough how important that was to have that piece and still is. I mean, I still use the prototype, like the, mm -hmm. the walkthrough, yeah. the design, because it's so much quicker and easier, in my opinion, just to throw that up quick and go through it and yeah. show it and, you know, click around. So, um, I, I mean, I still use it. That's awesome. No, I'm, I'm glad. That, yeah, I'm glad it's not just kind of a one-time transaction. Yeah, design. not at all. It still provides a lot of value afterwards. Um, yeah. Now, with with this, Nicole, was this your first kind of entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial endeavor that you went on, or have you had ones in the past? Is this kind of your first experience launching a technology startup, or are there any of the companies that you worked with? Yeah. So I've come to appreciate we really need to redefine entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship means you kind of. <laughs> you bring home your own, your own dinners, right? Like you mm -hmm. hunt and kill your own dinners as far as that goes. Like, so I was an entrepreneur from the get go. I own my own chiropractic office. Right. right. But it's way different than what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. This is a startup. I could, you know, we went to the banks, got a loan for the, the office because we could do a business plan for that because there are other chiropractic offices out there. We knew how much to charge, you know, like we could, we yeah. could predict all of that stuff this is a startup that's different. And, and I, I don't like that the, those two are getting confused mm -hmm. 
because I get too many people then that come up to me and, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. I, I'm an entrepreneur too. And, and I do, you know, X, Y, Z, Mary Kay, or I do this or that, or I, you know, I've got my own optometrist office or whatever. Those are established. Those are long yeah. functioning, like totally different than doing a tech startup and trying yeah. to break into a category that's not even that either is needing disrupting or not even there, like totally different. Um, so long answer to your question. This is my, not my first entrepreneurial thing, but it's my first startup. First tech startup. And were there yeah. a lot of, were there a lot of things that you're able to, I guess, skills that you learned in your, more of the chiropractic starting that business that you were able to bring over into startup or were you just kind of like, this is a blank sleigh. This is very new to me. I really just kind of going to have to figure this out as I go. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was able to bring over is because again, we're still our own business. We're still responsible for uh, our own income, you know, getting patients, all that stuff. So as far as marketing, as far as um, relationship building mm -hmm. um, business, you know, like that, that stuff obviously carries over uh, even yeah. more. So. Um, and then, yeah, then there was a whole new world of, yeah, I don't get the tech language. So now I've got to learn that. Okay, fine. Like then that's the other thing. You've got to just be willing to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always wanted to do that. It's one of the, actually one of the reasons I chose chiropractic. I actually graduated from Madison, UW Madison with my degree in bacteriology and I was doing oncology research. And the rats weren't keeping up their end of the conversation. So then I figured I'd better go find something else to do. <laughs> I was chopping their head off too, but yeah. <laughs> not too talkative when you do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but so, you know, then I went into chiropractic because I knew I needed a profession that was going to be different every day. And that's what chiropractic provided. Like I'd see mm -hmm. different people every day with different conditions. Perfect. Oh, yeah. And so this, this definitely, you know, the tech startup definitely gives me something to do every day. <laughs> I, I, could, I can imagine how much of uh, on a day to day it, it kind of shifts. I know even, I mean, even in, in my world now with, you know, obviously with Iron Ford, you know, I have a, a plan of what I want to do that day. It very rarely gets done because everything else comes from different directions. And you sat there at 6 p.m. looking at the same to-do list. I'm thinking this is just never going to end. And, and that's kind of the the issue you have when you're in these startups and you're, you know, you're in these fast paced environments, everything can change on a day-to-day -day basis. And some days you'll find that you have very little to do, but a lot of the time is there's just a long, long list of things that you're going to be constantly working on and constantly yeah. trying to get, you know, accomplished by the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, again, I'm, I, I've come to appreciate and I don't know what your guys's portfolio looks like, but I'm willing to bet I'm one of your more mature, older startups and being a female founder with a family. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this COVID thing has really rocked our world in the sense that now I'm, now I have to be a teacher too. Yeah. Now I have to, I've got kids at home. Again, I, I'm not supposed to have kids at home. Yeah, something you've got the the added pressure of the yeah, and even I mean even just creating a work life balance. I think when you start oh, I hate that company, word balance. Oh. it's I, I but something I, I know I, I really struggled with when I first started is being able to not get sucked into work. You know where you're doing it all the time, and and then being able to kind of 
take that break. That was for me was something that I really struggled with in the first 12 months of, of launching my own startup because it was all I could think about and then I could never switch off. And that became really frustrating for myself, but I know my wife as well. She's kind of, you know, what, what are you doing? Why are you still thinking about it? Why are you still working? It's like, and you just end up spinning your wheels most of the time because when you are that early on, there's not that many things to do. You just have to feel like you're working. You know, when you start, when you first start, first 12 months of starting a company, you've not got meetings all day long because nobody wants to sit down with you because nobody but cares. You you should it's, have meetings all day long. Like it's, that was the problem. Was you know you, you just you spin your wheels and and that was for me. I I really I recently learned. I suppose the last eighteen months really recently learned to set you know definitive goals. And if I do the goals in in the time, I'm done. That's fine. And, you know I'm not going to overwork. I'm not going to get into this you know this this rat race where you're constantly feeling like you have to do something else. So you just have to become more efficient and more productive. And that way you can spend time doing the things that you want to do as well. And we say, I love work, but you, there are things outside of work that you, that you shouldn't want to do. And I yeah. think when you first start your startup, it's, it's a very dangerous thing when you, when you, when you do it all the time constantly, because you just have no break from it. It is. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's very, yeah. I, I remember asking my youngest at the time, cause I had taken on another role for something else and, I turned to her and I said, you probably think I'm crazy, don't you? And she turned to me and she goes, no, mom, I think you're magical. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hope they're, I try to include them as much as possible. Um, they need to understand, because again, it's a different, it's a different type of entrepreneurship. My parents own their own real estate company. So, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. Um, but even that was different than now. So, yeah, just try to stay connected with them as much as possible. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's extremely important. And it's, uh, it's not something that every entrepreneur or every even, you know, business professional, every person puts the time into and you can really... And you look back afterwards, like I should have not spent that extra hour doing something. It really, it can wait till tomorrow. It, was, right. it wasn't important, but I just felt like I had to do something. Um, because yeah, when you first start, there aren't that many things to do. You've not, yeah. you have this brand, especially if you're waiting for the app to be built, there's not that many things to do. It's yeah. kind of, uh, but it's it, frustrating. It's, it is. And you feel like you have to do things. You have to keep yourself busy with it. Um, now you have also had a lot of success going into different accelerators and incubators, um, do you mind kind of just touching on your experience about some benefits that you had from going through them and, you know, even just talking about the individual ones that you went through and maybe some, um, you know, recommendations for anyone that's looking at either similar ones or, you know, those particular accelerators, you know, why it may be worthwhile going into those? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so again, about three years ago, I was introduced to um, one called G beta and now it's uh, under the umbrella of generator. Um, one of the accelerators uh, in the Midwest, actually, primarily. Um, I had never heard of an accelerator before. Like, didn't didn't know these things were out there. Like, the generations coming up now, you can actually get a degree in entrepreneurship. Like, yeah. that, <laughs> that wasn't a thing. Like, you just started a business. There's your degree. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get a degree in entrepreneurship. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so I attended the, my first couple meetings and I g- get back and I, I told my husband, Roger, I said, wow, I watched Shark Tank. That's like Sesame Street. 
<laughs> you know, like you're watching Shark Tank thinking you're getting all this information and here you're just learning how to pronounce words. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, the accelerators, um, and I, I've been around them enough now to understand and appreciate if you haven't been in, through an accelerator, but you've been an entrepreneur, you've been in the tech start, startup space, whatever, please don't be so arrogant to think that you are too good for an accelerator, mm-hmm. please. Because you're really missing out. It's, it's about connection and relationship. Yes, maybe you don't need to know how to do a pitch deck. Maybe you're, you're spot on perfect for that. Maybe you don't need to learn about venture funding. Great, good for you. But the connections and the process are still mm-hmm. really important. And so I think that um, that's what can get missed. And that's the most important part, in my opinion, of those startup or of those accelerators is getting you in this, this mindset process of, you know, when you're part of those, you weekly go through your stuff. Mm-hmm. What did I do this week? Right. Where did I spin my wheels? Right. Um, and it, it's a great checklist and balance. And then you're building relationships with people that I still have contacts with now that still help with referrals or, um, you know, investment opportunities. So it's, it's really short-sighted mm-hmm. of any startup not to consider being a part of at least one accelerator. I think you can get addicted to them too, though. I've seen, I've definitely seen somewhere I'm like, dude, you got to stop going to accelerators and just start selling already. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's really my biggest piece of advice is go through at least one of them. And like the one I went through G Beta, there was no equity, no payment. It was free. Okay. What a great starting point. Right. I, I just, I needed elementary school. Like I needed to go through that process. So there's all sorts of different kinds out there to that. You should be able to find one that fits you. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. you are ready for equity and, and you're at that stage is great. Go for it. Um, But especially now all of them are online. You know, my thing holding me back is I've got a family. It's tough to, it would be, you know, three months for me to be gone. Mm-hmm. that's a tough ask well now everything's online so go give it a try yeah there's no no real excuses now not to yeah it's... yeah so and honestly you know and i've applied for many and haven't gotten into many that's okay there it's a it's a process you you refine every single time you go into that fire mm-hmm. come out a little bit you know a little bit more shine as you're getting to your diamond state right so yeah yeah it's well it's, it's like something we always say with uh you know with our clients and, and with our, our team specifically you know iron sharpens iron so if you can get around and be surrounded by other startups and other founders they're going to be going through the same problems you are and yeah. that's you know part of the beauty of something we try and create within iron forge with our clients where you know if there is someone that we think would benefit from communicating we'll always make that introduction but we're not an accelerator. We're not an incubator yet. It may be something down the road, but right now, you know, we're not at that stage. So for us, 
it allows, you know, when our clients come from that, we know they have connections, we know they've been through that and they have a little bit more of the, the understanding and expertise where even for us, we're not having to kind of baby talk and baby walk people right. through exactly how this process is going to work. They come in with a little bit more um, kind of uh, experience with that and a little bit more of a solid understanding of how entrepreneurship works. And really what to expect even from working with a commercialization company, you know, like ourselves, rather than a software development company, they can come into it really knowing what to expect. So it, it just makes our life a lot easier. So we always encourage any of our clients to go through that and you will also have a lot of opportunities to raise capital through them you know there's a lot of investor pitches there and, and teaching you how to pitch investors that you know a lot yep. of these salaries will include and kind of get you to that point where you're ready to go on and you know sit down by yourself with investors and be able to you know ask for 50 100 250 for that notes on a napkin six months ago you know because right. it, it's quite a, a strange process to go through that as well Right. Well, and you know, I, I think you guys need to give yourselves more credit, though. I think that speaks volumes to Iron Forge that you that you want to work with people that have gone through that already, because that means you. That's such an obvious mark of a company that's not going to take advantage of mm -hmm. a non tech founder because you want them to already have the knowledge and not be the, the ones teaching. So yeah. I think you guys need to take more credit for that. Um, it's it's a mark of your your guys's integrity to do that, mm -hmm. and to have and want some of that knowledge. You know that founder to come in with some of that knowledge already. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, appreciate it as well. I mean, yeah. For for us, I mean, our, our goal is to make you successful. So the less explaining we have to do very early on allows us to focus on some of the more advanced techniques with growing the company. If we're starting off explaining the difference between venture capital and angel investment, it's just gonna be a longer process, and that's all it is. You know, we're here to we are here to educate, but for us, it's a lot of our our techniques that we work with clients, especially on on scale the company and much more advanced techniques, and therefore we want to make sure that our clients are at that point to be able to understand those effectively otherwise you just like you say you spin your wheels at the beginning part and we're kind of explaining things and going over a lot of information that you could get elsewhere before right. you're ready to really scale the company which is when you come to ironforge you don't come to us when you're still kind of 50 50 with is this going to work you know we're, we're right. here to to take you and kind of put gas on that fire and really take you to the next level so we need clients to come to us when they're ready to do that not if they're still on the fence about is this company going to work exactly exactly so so yeah. i think no I think it's uh, no, I think it's you know very well put as well uh, uh, to uh, to kind of explain that. Um, on this, Nicole, if somebody is looking for more information to be able to you know reach out to yourself, I don't know if you're you know comfortable giving your email or if not just a website. Um, you know how people can get in contact with you because I'm hoping at the end of this podcast and people that are watching this and listening to this, you know there can be individuals that are saying, hey, I want to sign up and I want to get involved with um, you know the, the the process we talked about earlier, the, the application. I want to get involved and learn more about the the actual mobile application and ways that I could even implement this into my own company. So how could people reach out to you and, and get in contact with you? Yeah, um, my email is Nicole S, so N-I-C-O-L-E-S at letsthrive360.com. Um, the change starts with one challenge. Again, is uh, change starts with one, the number one, dot com. And uh, altruize.com is another area you can get more information. Um, the, the challenge is, uh, again, it's free. The app is free to download. You know, we'd love your feedback. Obviously, you know, are, are, I don't even want to call them users. The individuals that are being altruistic are, are our main 
you know, focus. So we wanted your feedback and, and make sure that the app is doing what you guys need it to do. So. Awesome. And we'll make sure we have that in the description for you as well um, on our other blog post. So you've got all that in there and uh, yeah, hopefully so, you know, some of the, the listeners on here, uh, uh, you know, maybe feel like they want to reach out and be able to get in contact with you. Cause you know, on, on the past ones, we've had a lot of kind of the listeners that have reached out to the individual um, entrepreneurs who have been on the podcast. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure, Nicole, you know, having you on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your hectic schedule and, you know, even time with your family to be able to sit down for this quick interview. We will be posting this uh, video and podcast shortly. If you're out there listening and you do want to be featured on this particular podcast, you can reach out to me directly at roach at ironforge.co. Otherwise, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next time. Thank you.